if you listen to your users, they will tell you what they want, and then you have to be have to be creative in in creating the experience that generate value for them. This this is what the customer centricity is, in my view, generating value so that users are willing to continue their engagement with you and uh, continue their um, their interaction. So quality of analytics and UX research is what makes CRO effective. It's not about locking users in in specific plan or specific flow or you know forcing them into something behavior is eliciting this motivation and this willingness to to do what we want them to do with value that we provide at each step of the flow Very warm welcome to the Understanding Users podcast, brought to you by Researchable UX. It's great to have you with me. I'm your host, Mike Green. I'm a freelance user research lead and digital consultant based in the UK. Over the coming weeks, I'm going to be chatting to various digital experts who I've had the pleasure of working with in recent years. They're from various disciplines, including user research, UX design, development, and product management. And they'll even be a digital business owner or two. I'll be talking to them about how they came to be in their current roles, what they've learned along the way, and what advice they may have for others getting into the field. These are intended to be relaxed, informal chats with professionals who are keen to share their experiences. So sit back and enjoy. Ihor Sokol is co-founder of Conversion Rate Store, a Ukraine-based conversion rate optimization or CRO agency. He's a CRO pro who's been in the field for almost a decade. In this episode, Ihor and I discuss the CRO and UX research strategies that he and his team use to drive up customer conversion rates for their clients, the challenge of finding the right CRO experts to work with him and his team, and the ways to convince sometimes skeptical clients the value of CRO. Finally, he plays my three-card challenge to share his favorite UX tool, favorite technique, and a trend he sees in the future. If you'd like to help support the podcast, you can donate a very modest sum by buying me a virtual coffee. Simply go to coffee, that's ko-fi.com forward slash understanding users. Links are in the show notes. That would be hugely appreciated. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, everyone. Um, My name is Igor Sokolov. I am uh, from Ukraine, and I am a co-founder and um, a CEO of Conversion Rate Store, a performance-based CRO agency. Our focus is CRO and UXO, user experience optimization. Uh, We have a big team working in Ukraine, uh, in Kiev and other cities in Ukraine. Some of our team are outside of Ukraine right now due to some circumstances, well-known circumstances, but uh, our business is going well. Um, The the client base is constantly growing and we're now growing to a 32 people agency and continue to hire to hire so Ihor, tell me uh, what kinds of clients do you have and, and and where are they based typically kind of what, what verticals are in are they in and what what locations well when we started this was very much conversion rate optimization business and we were Focus on specific behavior, specific action that we're optimizing for. So lead gen was a natural client for us, lead generation with landing pages and uh, s- sites with specific um, conversion forms and conversion flows. 
But then we expanded to encompass marketplaces, uh, uh, classified, um, SaaS, um, uh, and e-com, of course. E-com is number one business for us now. Uh, we focus on optimizing user behavior to, to infuse sufficient motivation into, into users in order for them to, uh, to exert a specific behavior. This, I mean, it sounds very clever, but basically what it is, we are looking for ways of minimizing user frictions, uh, con- uh, user uh, concerns, ambiguities, and increasing user motivation to do a specific action, like a sign-up, a registration, or a, a purchase. So I was going to ask you to define CRO, but you, you pretty much have there, right? Kind of your that would be your sort of elevator pitch for for kind of you know, what is CRO for someone who wasn't familiar with the term. Um, you see, when I uh, when I was trying to do it for myself, I said this is a methodology of increasing user propensity to exert a specific behavior. But when we when we look at this, I mean, you can you can say about anything in, in, uh, concerning marketing. Uh, that in any, anything marketing is is a methodology of uh, increasing user propensity to exert a specific behavior. But that, in our case, is that we have two aspects of that we're working on. We want to minimize what prevents users from doing something and maximize your uh, user willingness to to follow through every step and and do what we want them to do. And uh, this. What we want them to do is something that generates significant value for users. So we know it's important thing in a conversion rate optimization. Uh, it's not about locking users in in specific plan or specific flow or you know forcing them into something behavior. Is eliciting this motivation and this willingness to to do what we want them to do with value that we provide at each step of the flow. Um, just as an indication how we do this, just for your understanding, I mean, a very vivid example would be one of our clients who is a, a, a um, payroll automation, a big, big multinational in Israel, a unicorn. Um, they have a, a conversion or a conversion flow called schedule edema, which is something that most um, uh, high-touch SaaS do. Now, what we did is we tried to identify what would be the actual reasons or the problems that users were uh, trying to overcome with this with this um, solutions, this uh, SaaS. So, um, the payroll automation, self-explanatory. You click a button or you do a few inputs, and then you have multiple uh, employees being paid. Uh, hundreds, thousands, but the initial reason, we want to understand what, how this problem initially arose. So what we found is that some users were referring to this, and by the way, this is, uh, this is a very, uh, uh, you know, like a basic of user research. So we were doing interviews, we were doing user surveys, we were doing user testing, asking uh, and trying to identify why would users be initially willing to start looking for a solution like payroll automation. And what we found is that some users were saying that they're making too many errors when they do payroll automation and it costs them money. Some are saying that it's just too costly to do 5,000 or 500 um, employees uh, manually. Some say that it just takes too long and, and many, many other reasons. So what we did 
is we said, look, first, your form, the, the form that you have. Um, we have to infuse user with motivation to complete this form. How we do this, we have to explain to them what are the benefits and what are the goals that they can um, accomplish with your solution. How do we do this? So instead of breaking down the form into small parts, like you would, uh, if you ask any zero, um, zero pro, um, how do you reduce the friction with the form, they tell you re remove as many fields as you can and break it down into logical steps. So look, what if we do would go in a different direction? Instead of breaking down and reducing the cognitive load, we increase this, uh, the scope of this uh, conversion flow. And on the first stage, we will ask, what goals are you trying to accomplish? And we'll list all the goals, so user will have to read through them in order to, to click on the ones that, or you know, uh, uh, select the ones that he wants to accomplish or she wants to accomplish. And by that action, we educate them what this, what this solution actually does. The next step would be what benefits and um, features are most important to you. And the user would read through uh, and would see there are many different benefits, many different uh, features that are relevant to him or her, but they, they didn't have top of mind. Then the next step would be related to price. What price points do, are you, are you uh, looking for? And then the form. By the time users reach to the, uh, the form, their motivation is so high because the first they, they invested so much time. Well, when I say so much time, I mean one or two minutes. It's not like uh, three hours. Uh, we They invested so much time into completing the form. They read through all the information, what this solution does, what benefits it can bring, and what goals can be achieved. And by the time they reach the form, 90% of users who reach the form, about, uh, let me, about 80 to 90, I don't remember the exact figure, about 85 or something, completed this form. So by the time they reach it, they, their motivation is the highest. So this is what I'm saying. So I was going to ask you, that's fascinating. I was going to ask you about the, the quant versus qual side of things, because what you're doing, the kind of CRO side of thing is, is, is very quantitative by its nature. I guess you're looking at kind of stats in terms of, of completion rates and the kind of percentage outputs and so on and so forth. But you mentioned their interviews and the kind of qualitative side of, of the research piece as well. So I'm interested to know kind of how CRO fits, you know, the quant versus the qual and kind of the, the you know, overall within kind of user experience. You see, um, we have uh, 32 people in our agency, and uh, one of the big troubles we have is that we have to uh, find people who are better, more willing, and more um, energetic to learn in order to be better than our clients. And our clients are some of the top uh, econ businesses in Europe and the US. Um, therefore, we have to learn and we have to be very broad in our knowledge. Now, a CRO manager is the one who has good understanding, no, not good, very good understanding of qualitative analytics. So he knows the questions he needs to ask the, the, uh, the analysis team in order to be able to understand what the problem is and how to approach it. He has, the person has to be very good in UX research. The, pro, uh, pro, uh, the zero manager must be very proficient in UX prototyping, in copywriting, and A-B test, uh, hypothesis formulation and A-B test methodology. So all this is a symbiosis of all this knowledge in one person or a small team of people. Um, so qualitative analytics and UX research is what makes CRO effective. Uh, you know, if you... Some of our clients come to us and say, look, 
go to our website, look at the funnel, and give me these solutions. You know, uh, throw me solutions out and say, look, we in order to give you solutions that have high uh, pro high probability of winning the A/B test. You have to study what what prevents users from converting instead of just throwing throwing out ideas. Therefore, uh, you have to do a comprehensive UX research, understanding what what uh, drives users, what you, what are the user perceptions, frictions, concerns, ambiguities, uh, objective objections, and or barriers to conversion. And you talk there about the kind of range of skills that a, a sort of CRO analyst within your organization needs. I'm interested to know kind of how do you find those people? They sound uh... They sound like a rare breed with with that quite broad skill set. That's a great question. You see, when we started, we were looking for CRO managers. We found that there are about a hundred of them in the world, and most of them work in the US. So my big intellectual breakthrough was to to discover that we have to spend and invest a lot of time in their education. So instead of just looking for people uh, that are good at everything and they 100% uh, work for, with our standards. I, I realized that, no, I have to find someone who's who's already at a very high, at a high level, but his propensity to learn and his willingness to learn is so high that uh, when the person is with me and looking over the shoulder how uh, I'm doing the project and managing them, how I'm working with clients and de de delivering results to them, they are quick to learn. And uh, as I said, uh, we, when we started the business, it was at the point where I had to explain to some of our clients or potential clients, what is CRO? So they didn't know. So, okay, uh, what is it that you guys do? Uh, I said, well, I thought you do, you know, you have, you, you have a big product, um, I know, uh, millions of traffic and uh, you, you're asking a question like this and say, well, yeah, I know it's something to do with conversion, something with optimizing, but I have no really no idea how it's done and so on. So I had to explain what it is and to walk um, our potential clients through this. Now, um, with our business, what I learned is that I have to be very effective in educating our, our new employees and we, we give them some time. So from four weeks up to three months of onboarding period where where they still uh, look over my shoulder and, or look over the shoulder of other um, managers in the, in the company to learn how things are done and to learn our standards and we our standards are very high and uh, so so what advice would you give someone Ihor? if someone came to you and said hey look uh, i'm interested in getting into cro um what, what would you tell them if you want to get into um, CRO. If you want to get as a, as a specialist, as a as a person, as an, um, a person who is doing a specific job, I, I suggest that you start with this specific job, but on the basic level. So when people come to my company and ask for a position to start, they say, "I don't know. I know very little about uh, CRO. I know a little bit about IT and about various product companies, but um, I have very little." About zero, I said you have to start as a QA, as a quality assurance engineer that uh, QAs the A/B test, the the alternative variations we create for A/B test. But if you're looking to start as a as an entrepreneur, if you're looking to start an agency or a company focused on CRO, um, first learn how to sell it. 
because uh, you, if you sell it well, this is where you're going to get practice. Uh, you're going to uh, go to Upwork or any other um, uh, marketplace, freelance marketplace, and uh, look for a project. Look for a small project, like increasing the conversion rate of small Shopify store. Uh, do uh, Learn about the basic methodologies like performance or funnel performance analysis. Very basic, very straightforward, but this is a, a, the, the base. Then learn about how to run uh, surveys. Uh, learn about how to conduct user, um, user tests. And what, once you have the funnel performance analysis, survey results and user tests, you can start working on hypotheses. Uh, but of course, uh, I have to tell you, it's not as easy. On, it's, it's very difficult on your own. You have to have someone with you or you have to have someone mentoring you or coaching you. So I would su definitely suggest partnering with someone uh, who has some experience. It could be a freelancer or working for some agency to learn before. And what about... Um clients you know when clients come to you and they say look we want to improve our, our conversion rate for our customers what are the kind of top tips and advice you give them how do you how do you go about dealing with clients number one is uh, base all your recommendations and hypotheses on data it's very it's not difficult at least uh, it's difficult in the first year or two but after you learn this you know this this becomes a routine um, task to gather sufficient level of data and uh, relevant data to base your hypothesis on. Number two is um, um, clients, they value and they respect consultants that can tell them no. Um, if you, if you are um, just a, a, a doer, if you're someone who is doing the wants and wishes of your client, you're a commodity. You're just doing the thing, and there, there are many people who can do the things that you, the client wants. At some point, the client will ask you, look, Igor, where's the result? It's been two months of our cooperation, and where's the result? Say, look, but over the last two months, we've been doing a lot of things that you were asking us to, and very little of what we wanted to do. Say, look, I don't care what you've been doing. I pay you for the result, where's the result? So uh, I, that's what I tell my team. Don't tell your client, I tell outline if he wants to do something of his own, he needs to go and hire people who will be doing what he wants. It's basically employees or freelancers. Or we are we are consultants, so we ask our client, "What is it that you want to achieve? Give us the metrics and the goals and the metrics how you how you uh, gonna um, measure the the effectiveness of achieving these goals." And we will tell you the ways and, and the most effective ways and methodologies how to achieve this goal. So we will consult you on the, uh, the shortest and the most effective path to that goal. I, I, think, I think there's a lot of great advice there for, for all consultants, Ihor, not just uh, CRO. Yeah, that's, that's very true. Um, wh what do you know now? Here's a question for you. What do you know now that you wish you'd known when you started out? We are very aggressive in our marketing, and that's the reason why we are uh, successful. One of the reasons why we're successful. We tell our clients that we will give you a guaranteed result. If you, I, I had a discussion in one of the chats in Facebook with some zero pros. I said, this is 
you know, this is this is not true. You cannot guarantee a result in zero. I said, yes, but if you do the math, I know that I have about 30% A-B test win rate. In some cases, it's for some clients, 50%, for some clients, 15%, but generally it's 30%. So I need to launch three A-B tests in order to win one. I know that my average A-B test win rate is between 8 and 10% in, in key metric that we decide. So what doing the math, putting it all together, if I launch three A-B tests, on average, I'll win one A-B test and I will give 8 to, to 10% uplift in the key metric. Now, if I now project it to a client and say, look, if we work three months, I will launch a minimum of three A-B tests, maybe four. So, and on average, I should be able to give you about 10% uplifting conversion rate. This is my guarantee. So I, I mathematically, I can prove that I can achieve a guaranteed result for my client. Of course, in some cases, we don't achieve this result. And well, very rarely. We, and we have to run four or five, or even six A-B tests. But in the end, we do give 10, 15, 20% for our client and everyone is happy. So uh, one of the other advice is be, well, be, be data-driven, be a consultant and sell result as opposed to as opposed of as opposed of process. And just to pick up on that, for people who aren't familiar with A-B tests as a kind of concept, could you just explain a little bit more about kind of what is an A-B test? How is it run? You can not understand how a particular experience will affect the outcome without testing it on control group. And the control group are users. So you and me can look at the, at the, um, at the alternative variation of, say, a conversion form or any, any conversion flow and say, it looks good, it looks, you know, to the point, very efficient, nothing, no distractions, uh, very, um, very smooth, very little co cognitive load on each step, but it, could, it will fail miserably in the A-B test. And it happened quite a few times with us. So uh, at some, there were some tests that I said, 99% is going to be 10, 15% uplift, and it was 20%. Uh, downfall, decline in metrics. Therefore, it has to be tested. What we do is we create hypotheses that lay base for alternative variations. Alternative variation is, is an iteration of hypothesis uh, with user experience, user uh, interface, and copywriting put in place. For one hypothesis, could have multiple different iterations, multiple different variations, but we create an alternative variation, say, for example, for a checkout of an e Shopify e-com store. Now, for, for checkout uh, of Shopify, it's not a good example because they have restrictions on A-B testing. So let's do a product detail page. We create a, an alternative variation of product detail page. Now, and then we use uh, tools like Google Optimize, Optimizely, VWO, Converter, and multiple um, multitude of other tools to insert that alternative variation into the tool and stream the traffic, all the traffic that um, that is going towards the, the control variation of the product detail page into two streams. 50-50%. Yeah, I mean, you can you can play around with this different. You can do 25-25, whatever, however you want, or 70-30, but we usually split in equal, equally, and we maximize the traffic flow in order to maximize the statistic, uh, statistical significance of the result. So we split the traffic into two flows, and we see how users interact with control variation, the, the existing variation that the client had, and the alternative variation, the one that we created. 
um, and we see how they progress. So if it's if it's the example of product detail page, we see how they interact with the page, how they visually and interactively engage with the page, how they scroll, how they uh, consume the content, how what's the uh, card to detail rate, how how much. Uh, What's the rate of adding to cart? What's the abandonment rate after adding to cart? What's the progression from PDP to, to cart to checkout to thank you page? All of this is being measured. And as a result, we make a conclusion if it's if the alternative variation is a winner or there is a no winner or it's a loser. And we have to, of course, we have to do statistically significant result to make sure that the result was achieved not by chance, and is it always A, B testing or can you have A, B, C testing? You can do as many as your A, B, C, D, E, F, G, but uh, we do not recommend to do more than A, B, C, even for some of the big clients that we had who have millions and millions of traffic. Uh, we do see some discrepancies um, in, in data and the validity and the uh, of data declines with every additional variation that you add. So A, B, C is what you should have. There are also other types of testing like split URL testing or multivariate testing, but the most common ones and the ones that give you good confidence in the result is the is the A-B test. And, and everything you're saying is, it presupposes a, a, you talked about a kind of high level of traffic. I'm interested to know for smaller organizations that maybe have kind of lower traffic volumes, what would your advice be to them in terms of kind of gathering statistically significant results and being able to make clear conclusions? Um, first of all, is uh, minimize the funnel as much as you can. So um, you have to be, if for example, once again, you're optimizing product detail page, minimize the funnel so it's only users who end up on the product page. This is where the, their, uh, the experiment and their experience, uh, the testing of experience starts. So the shorter the funnel, the, the easier you can make the, the conclusion. Secondly, monitor the, the secondary metrics. Uh, not only the macro metrics, how many of your, those users purchase, because if a, if a client has you know, 200 conversions per month, this uh, very rarely would be enough for, uh, for a statistical, statistically significant result. The more radical the change, the more radical the result will be. If it's going to be, if you're changing the color of a button or position of elements, you will never be able to find a statistically significant result. Very, very rarely, with millions of traffic and, and weeks of uh, weeks of A/B testing, basically time lost. But the more change you do, we like for like just now we did an A/B test for one of our clients. We completely redesigned the uh, the product detail page. Completely redesigned. Fifty-seven percent uplift. It's huge, but the first A/B test lost around you know, 35, 40%. So it was significantly underperforming. The second A-B test, we did another iteration with um, a significant redesign of uh, the PDP, 57% uplift. If we would do just a slight redesign, we would have get, well, possibly like 5 or 7%. And I guess that there's a lot of, you know, you've talked rightly about your clients and the kind of B2B model. I'm interested to know kind of with a user-centric hat on, the users and the end users, so the clients of your clients, how do you ensure that kind of their wishes and needs are taken into account and that you're kind of doing what you're doing with a, product, with a user-centric, end user-centric, if I can put it like that? One of our clients said, um, he's asking, so what do you do? How do you get people to do something that you do? I say, well, you have to, you have to communicate the value that they will get from this action. Every single action must be uh, must have some kind of value. So the, an action could be going to a product page. Why would you go to a product page? Because you will see 
possibly the the product that you're looking for so this is value why would you why would you then add to cart or proceed to the next step because you will see the the cost of shipping and other things that that generate value to you uh, user centricity refers to understanding what user wants and giving them this um, value i'll give you a good an interesting example we had uh, well uh, one of our clients is a mortgage broker in Brisbane, one of the biggest ones. And um, once again, uh, mortgage brokerage refers to helping clients to find a right mortgage for them. But the reason why the user would be looking for a mortgage could be very different. I have I have a, a promotion at work. I have a child. I, I, I got married. I, my mother kicked me out of my house, uh, of her house, and so on. And we did this comprehensive research why would users would be looking for. And so we found that the reasons why users would be coming to the website are very different. They are not specifically looking for uh, the mortgage right now, but they're researching this subject and maybe they'll be more uh, equipped to to apply for a mortgage in a few months. So what we found is that some users are looking for eligibility, if they're eligible at least to apply at all. Some users to, uh, are, are looking to understand the boring capacity. Some users to understand uh, want to understand which suburbs in Brisbane um, uh, they are most that most suitable for that family. So, and we created all of this conversion. So before we started to work with the user, we, there was uh, with the client, there was only one conversion, get a free assessment. That's it. So it was just getting a free assessment, uh, very basic. I mean, nothing uh, deep is, is put into this, um, into this uh, conversion. So just some general kind of conversion. So we did a conversion related to eligibility, find out if you're eligible, find out your boring capacity, find out the suburbs or uh, learn about the different suburbs in Brisbane. And one thing which I, I was, I think it's a, an amazing example of um, customer centricity and user research, effective user research, is that we did an analysis asking users, why do you want to buy a house now? Why do you want to get a mortgage now? And one of the, well, not one, I mean, first it was one, but this one is uh, the one who made the whole thing for us. We start to dig it. He said, I want to stop paying someone else's mortgage. I want to pay for my own. And we created a calculator on the homepage of our client, the, the mortgage broker, where you're able to put in the amount of money you're currently paying for your rent. And we will tell you, we'll calculate how much uh, how uh, much you can borrow if you switch this amount to mortgage repayments, monthly mortgage repayments. Uh, and that's just, just this, just this information and just this functionality increase uh, the conversion rate by 22% of the website because we learned it from users they told us that they uh, they they want to stop paying for someone else's mortgage they want to pay for their own that's fascinating oh, that's a great example and and just to pick up on that point when you said uh, you know talking to users how did you do that was that kind of a, an online survey was that kind of email survey so once once you engage with us uh, on any level, on any uh, conversion or on any level, if you contact us, we'll send you a survey and say, look, we want to try to better understand you. Give us a little bit of information. If you listen to your users, they will tell you what they want. And then you have to be, you have to be creative in, in creating the, 
um, the experience that generate value for them. This, this is what the customer centricity is, in my view, generating value so that users are willing to continue their engagement with you and uh, continue their, um, their interaction and, as a, and conversion with you. What about the future, Ihor, in terms of CRO and kind of how it's evolving, where it's going? What, what, would, what would you say about that? As the business is evolving, and um, we understand that the traffic at a, at, a, at a acceptable price is finite. You cannot drive more and more traffic from one one thousand to hundred million because at one point you reach to uh, you reach the point where the cost of traffic will be too high and the cost of um, acquisition acquisition cost will be too high for you to judge this investment or to uh, approve this investment. Um, so, um, what we are now looking at is expanding the the scope of our attention or of work in order to take into account not only the first, the not the only the acquisition, but also the retention. So our focus shifts from average order value, conversion rate, and average revenue per user that are primary metrics for the first action. Say conversion rate for lead gen, the average revenue per user for e-com or marketplace. We're now focusing on lifetime value, retention, and churn rate. And I can give you a, an interesting example how we're doing this. So, um, one of our clients is uh, uh, selling uh, mouse strips for people to stop or minimize or eliminate snoring while they sleep and um, what we found is that uh, this product is sold through uh, one-time uh, one-time purchase so you can buy one box or you can subscribe to uh, order of delivery order replenishment every month or every three months and uh, what we identified is that there was some churn and we were we're looking at the reasons why people were churning, why people were uh, canceling their subscription. What we found is that some of them, and it was quite a significant proportion, were saying that, look, I have too many of them now because sometimes I forget to put it on before I go to bed. Sometimes I have you know, other things that I, I'm not, you know, uh, I haven't shaved and therefore it's difficult for me to, to put it on because of the moustache I have to shave and I, I cannot be bothered before bed. So I have just a stock of them. I don't need any more. We tell them, we ask this question before they, they cancel their subscription. What is the reason why you cancel? And say, well, I just have too many. I just don't need any more right now. Say, so, look, uh, let's give them an option to pause the subscription instead of canceling it. And explain that pause your subscription because the price may change. And in order to keep the price, pause it. So we, we, uh, pause your subscription, we deactivate your subscription to activate it in say one or two or three months upon your choosing. If users don't need them, then it's not going to work. Users must uh, feel and um, understand the value from this. Once they understand it, then you can you can work with them on their uh, you know, on the objections or their perception of the product so they they say the product is great but i just don't have too, too many of them say pause it and we will resume it in say um two months uh, if you if you choose a two month you can choose three months or one month um, and just just this has has given us a significant decline in 
um, in uh, in cancellation rate, in the rate of canceling subscription. So this is just an example of uh, effective user research and implementation that is focused on lifetime value and retention. Finish off then. Let's do the three-card challenge. Uh, so this is what I've been doing kind of with all my guests. So tool, technique, and challenge, uh, tool, technique, and trend. So I've got three cards here, Ihor. I'm going to hold them up, and I'd just like you to choose one. Um, you want me to name it? Yeah, just just name it, and just and I'll, I'll tell you what's Queen of Diamonds. Uh, so Queen of Diamonds on the back of that is trend. So just tell me a trend that you see at the moment. We touched a little bit about the kind of the, the, the future of, of CRO, but maybe a trend more generally in digital, in UX, in you know anything you kind of wanted to, to raise. There is one thing that I think is, is fascinating. It's ChatGPT, and you probably hear, hear yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's on everybody's lips, isn't it? And, yes, and I, I played around and I did some research into this, and I think this is a big one because when a technology, when a artificial intelligence will be able to identify our mood and our sentiment. This is where you will not be able to understand if you speak to a machine or a human. And this is where a machine will start to imitate a human. And this is where everything can go in a very different directions from a Skynet scenario to a, you know, something very beneficial for, our, for humanity. Therefore, ChatGPT, in my view, is an incredible breakthrough. And I, uh, as I said, I was playing around and I was putting things that are controversial and are um, something that um, a machine shouldn't be able to answer. But the machine is telling me, look, you're asking things that are not very you know, ethical or I cannot you know, project the outcome of uh, a conflict or anything like that. So... But it's interesting how it reacts. So it tries to put me in a position to shame, put a shame on me. So look, you shouldn't be asking these things. I mean, it's not it's not good to ask this thing. But but if you want to know, this is my position, and this is how I think it should evolve. So I, if I wouldn't know this ChatGPT, I would be thinking I'm, I'm speaking to some someone, uh, some human, and this could go. I mean, the ways it could be implemented a, multi, uh, a multitude, including the support in. Um, in e-com or any business, so a support team could be, I mean, could become almost eliminated with with this uh, with this uh, service, this technology. Last two cards. Choose another one. Ace of Hearts. Ace of Hearts. Ihor is a tool. So tell me about your favorite tool or a tool that you or your team use in kind of the work you do and why why you like it so much. What I would tell the podcast audience is that ask your, speak to your users all the time and ask them questions. And because a lot of them want to, to speak to you, a lot of them want to tell you things that you, you should know, but you're not, you're just not interested or you're not, you're not, um, you're not asking the right questions. Therefore, everything related to speaking and to having, keeping contact with the user. For example, a regular email survey. And when I say regular, I say once in six months or after the conversions, tell us about your experience. Email survey. And on-site survey. Our clients are, some of our clients are very aggressive and very uh, against 
any kind of surveys on the on site, but we say, look, we ask them a question on the thank you page, a question like, what was the one thing that nearly stopped you from buying? Or what was the one thing that convinced you to buy? A thank you page user has already conducted all the, all the steps, already went through the steps and already conducted the, the conversion. Thank you page has nothing to do with conversion because it's past the conversion. Ask them there. User testing, create scenarios for users to complete a specific action. Google Analytics is an evident uh, example, and everyone in, in zero, pretty much everyone will give you the same answer. But in my view, user surveys is what is what gives us the most hypothesis. So if you give us, if you ask me what, if all the tools I will have to ditch apart from one, I would say a tool that enables us to conduct user surveys online and email. And the last one, Jack of Spades, technique. So tell me about a technique. Dedicated user, I'm sorry, dedicated conversion flow based on user intent. Um, I, I, I quite often give the same uh, example, but uh, I'll, I'll give you a different one. So we have a client uh, from uh, Australia that is selling an each relief stickers. So once, once you get bitten by a mosquito, it um, basically the, the the natural behavior is to scratch, scratch until it bleeds, whatever else. But most affected the um, who's most affected are the kids. And um, what we did is we analyzed why would user buy a, a sticker like this. Of course, the the end goal is to reduce the the itching. Uh, but we want to understand uh, what was the initial problem that users came up because we, we found they're, they're different. And we, we did this research and we found that some users would buy this because they are, um, because their children have allergy to uh, mosquito bites. Some would buy because uh, their initial initial problem that they came to solve is because their kids would scratch it as until it bleeds. Some want to switch from uh, some, from chemically um, uh, from um, uh, sprays or creams or gels that have chemicals in it. So there are other the different user intents that we identify. So what we did is we segment users based on the user intent. In the beginning of the flow, we asked them what what each relief problems are you looking to solve. And we give them answers. My child gets a lot of bites when outside, need to switch from spray uh, cream and gel, need a non-chemical solution for my child, and so on. Basically, it's just we're trying to identify why they're here. So they didn't come here for uh, for a sticker. Maybe they came for some other problem, but they had a problem, and we gave them um, a, a possibility to choose exactly the problem that they came here to solve. Then, based on that user intent, we... we Customer will personalize content and create a dedicated conversion flow that reinforces the value for that user intent user came to address. And as a result, users would get to the point where they are transactional. So first content, 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 then transactional um, block and users buy. This, this, this is a methodology that we invented internally called, as I said, dedicated conversion flow based on user intent. And it works very good.
That's brilliant. That's been absolutely fascinating. Thanks so much for your time, Ihor. I've, I've, I've really enjoyed our chat. And uh, yeah, just final question. Where can people find out more about you? I'm, I'm going to put some links in the episode notes, but just, just tell us while, while you're here. First of all, Mike, I want to uh, thank you for the opportunity. And I, I really enjoyed this, this conversation with you today. Uh, it's very simple. If you go to my LinkedIn account, Ihor, I-H-O-R, Sokol, uh, and you, you can easily find me or send me an email. Uh, I at Conversion Rate Store. Very easy. Thanks for listening to the Understanding Users podcast. And special thanks to my guest, Ihor Sokol. If you enjoyed what you heard, do please like or comment wherever you're listening and feel free to share this episode more widely. And if you'd like to help support the podcast, you can donate a very modest sum by buying me a virtual coffee at coffee.com forward slash understanding users. That's ko com. Links are in the show notes. That would be hugely appreciated. Thank you. Feel free, of course, as well to drop me in line with any feedback via LinkedIn or my website, researchable.uk. Join me again next time when I'll be talking to another experienced UX professional and asking them to share their wisdom, tips and knowledge with me. Until then, stay safe and stay user-centred.